Welcome to the Liberty Experts Podcast, where all your liberty questions are answered, discussed, and debated by experts. Now, here are your liberty experts, Tim Moen and David Birnbaum. Hello, Tim. How's it going? Hey, David. It's going good, I think. I, I don't know. I'm trying to... I, I'm very tired because the Airbnb I'm staying at has a bright light right outside the window. So even at oh. like 4 a.m. or 3 a.m., oh, the apartment's geez. pretty bright. So it's not great. Where, where are you now? I'm in Toronto now. I'm basically okay. going to be staying in Toronto for the next few months. I decided to finally settle down somewhere. I'm pretty tired from moving every month. Or What, is, what are those signs on the year. wall say behind you? What are those? Uh... One says, love lives here. Ooh, and nice. the other says, together is my favorite place to be. Oh, man. What yeah. a nice environment that yeah. you chose. There's another one <laughs> called Dreamer of Dreams that you can't see. Oh, inspirational. But this one's man. good. This one's good for you and me. Yeah. Together is Together my favorite is play. place this to is be, a, Tim. Yeah, it's my, mine too, buddy. <laughs> um, so today we wanted to, or I wanted to in particular, but we wanted to talk a bit more about free will because it came up in, in multiple of our recent discussions. And I think it's an, I, I think it factors in a lot more to people's political beliefs than the average person realizes. Um, and so I'm not an expert on free will, but I think it's really interesting. Um, and I kind of had come to my own conclusions about the nature of my free will when I was kind of struggling to put my life back together and stuff. And it actually ended up being quite in line with Ayn Rand's unique view of what free will is. So I wanted to kind of present that to you and get your thoughts and sure. just kind of go from there. I'll, I'll tell you what, where my starting place is on this. All right. um, I'm a determinist who has no choice but to believe in free will. That's kind of where I'm at right now. So, right. And <laughs> so that's, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> well, so basically the average view of free will is very much focused around like, do you choose to do something or not, right? Like you could pick up a glass or put down a glass, right? And so it's like, and you can kind of see that, um, okay, I could technically make that choice, but maybe the choice I ended up making was always going to be the choice I ended up making, right? And so it's like, how can you know for certain that's not the case? Um, and so I think there's an important caveat, which is a much deeper philosophical conversation that I won't be able to have, but the, f like, the fact of Did you just make me pick up that cup? Did I have a choice? I, think I, can't... I did. I think I spoke the right. I was thinking word about that ever since you said it, that. and I just, I tried to resist, but I finally picked it up. I don't. Um, well, so so uh, objectivism holds that consciousness is an axiom, so you can't explain the fact of consciousness other than it mm. exists. The fact right. that we are aware at all is the fact that we're conscious, and I mean, I won't do it justice to go into that, but it's just an important thing to say okay we have to take for granted that you and i are conscious um okay right um but then in terms of if we have free will if we can choose what we're doing ayn rand's unique view of that isn't that it's the primary is a choice to do something or not the primary is a choice she calls it focus or not but it's basically mm. the choice to take control of your mind in a situation or not. 
And so basically you can either choose to focus, drift or evade. And Hmm. so drifting is what we, you know, talk the automatons do often. They don't really care. They're not engaged in their life. They're just going through the motions. And to the degree that someone is drifting, you could argue that they're relatively determined because they just react to things based on whatever is in their mind before that they didn't even choose to put in there. And so there are many people who act in that way. And thus you could say, oh, well, if the masses act this way, clearly we're determined. But it's like a choice to not engage your mind then leads you to be drifting like that. And then the other choice you have is focus or evasion. And so evasion is what you do when you don't want to look at the truth, when you purposely push away the truth. Oh, no, like, you know, my mother-in-law is not that bad. I'll just keep putting up with her. Oh, no, my partner, like he, even though he hits me, he's, he's still a good guy. And you don't want to face the truth. And so in my, so that's what Ayn Rand calls to put your mind in focus or not. The way I formulate it is, It's basically one decision you make over and over and over again for your entire life. Do I look at all of the information available to me and do what I think is right? That's it. But you have that choice and you can know, or at least I know, sometimes I didn't make that choice, right? And so if I had always made that choice, it also seems like maybe I'm determined because now it seems like oh, well, if that's, the, if that's true, if I always look at all of the data and try and do what's best, then I don't really have choice because there's always one best option. But the choice is I don't have to do that. I could choose, it would be tough to do because I want to be a good person, but I could choose to do something I know to be wrong based on my own judgment. And that's the choice is- right you can choose to do something that in the moment you know to be not the best choice. And it's basically, though that's kind of the binary is you can choose one or the other about everything. And it's that the choice is, am I engaging my mind to figure out and execute on what is best based on my judgment in this moment or not? Okay, well, I'm gonna try to give you Sam Harris's Right. Rebuttal to this. And and I'll probably butcher it. You know, it's been a while since I listened to Sam Harris on free will, mm-hmm. but you know, basically it's the idea that, um, you know, since the, the, the big bang, um, you know, if you had perfect knowledge or, or perfect, if you could trip map every particle, um, th- there's only one way things can have ever played out. And, and so if I could look at your mind right now and, and look at its state and, and know every neuro, neuron and, and synapse, um, there, the, you might have the illusion of free, free choice, but really your mind is going to choose or is going to do what it's going to do. Um, there's no ghost outside of it controlling it or something like that. And this is kind of backed up by some uh, studies where y- you can see on, an, on a scan uh, that a person has – a mind responds a certain way before the person is even consciously aware that it's doing that. But the, the, per, the, the person believes they're making a choice uh, seconds later, their experience of what happened in their mind is that they chose something. And, right. and so um, 
you know, that, that, that's kind of his. Now, my thinking on this is, I, I don't know, the free will versus determinism thing isn't really a super interesting topic to me. Again, mm-hmm. if, it, if it is deterministic, that doesn't change one thing to me about uh, well, you'd have no choice, so it doesn't I'd, matter. Like I said, I have no choice but to believe in free will and believe that I'm making choices out here. Right. And um, and I'm glad that the universe made me that way and that I'm playing this out because if I didn't think I had personal agency, I'd be one of these people I'd, I look at as automatons. It's it's a bit of a mind frack. But, you know, and, and I think, like, you know, we, we could also pick apart Rand a little bit. I think I'm, I'm not sure I can buy or I'm not sure that it's a totally solid case that consciousness is an axiom um, because there are different states of consciousness, let's say. Where no, but so consciousness is awareness. So right. if like for you to even be able to talk, for you to even be able to have anything go through your mind that, I mean, I'm not going to be able to do this. Yeah. It's a very complex, yeah. abstract I mean, topic. well, uh, let me just lay out what my thinking is because yeah. – um, you know, for consciousness to arrive as an axiom or whatever we're calling it, uh, there has to be constituent parts, right? You have to have a brain and a body that supports that brain and the brain can't mm. be damaged. It has to, you know, animal brains aren't as fully formed or as, as uh, yeah. clearly we don't look at consciousness in animals as much. And it, people who have brain damage or in vegetative states or somewhere between that, or maybe they have low IQs. They, they seem to be less capable of making choice than people with higher IQs. Um, and, you know, if, if I'm thinking about this as an AI developer or something like that, where I'm trying to develop a conscious, uh, a consciousness, um, how would I know that I've arrived at it? Uh, how, you know, and, and what would that look like? Interestingly, uh, in AI research, one, uh, one lecture I listened to had to do with the idea of focus being the key element in, in consciousness arriving. Uh, so I think there's some some something interesting there that Ayn Rand picked this up long before you know, they call it uh, relevance realization, like understanding what to focus on what's relevant and what's not yeah. like it's, it's mainly the, the, the gist of his talk was, was that, you know, as babies and toddlers, we're hyper conscious, like we're aware of everything around us and we yeah. don't know what to focus on. Our baby's eyes are going everywhere. They don't know yeah. where to, focus and it's it's maturity and and what we call you know consciousness or whatever is the ability to focus on what's relevant and mm-hmm. and discount everything else it's it's basically editing out the parts of the world that aren't relevant in this yeah. moment and that's what he would you know that, that that kind of overlaps with the concept of focus to me so that there's some interesting things there but uh, yeah. yeah well so one one just side note is that what you just touched on about like the babies and and like how the field narrows or whatever that's actually what i've realized i wasn't able to do and why i think i have asperger's and my brain developed differently is because my brain until i was 24 was in that same state of just being inundated with chaos very much like a toddler um and so that's just really interesting and i Mm. think it's kind of a different view of the same issue of focus so that's i just wanted to add that because it's interesting to me um but you know on the this is where so objectivism holds that consciousness is a fact it's a self-evident fact and actually the denial of consciousness is more mystical than the denial than the than the validation of it 
because right you like, have to have consciousness to deny consciousness right and also <laughs> it's like, like self detonating if thing. you looked at an apple you couldn't say like prove the apple is there it's there right the apple right. is there the evidence is that it's there um you can't kind of in the air prove that the apple had to be there or whatever it's just right. there and so to deny consciousness and just because we don't know yet how consciousness originated, how it first came to be, the same way we don't know how the first ever life form came to be, doesn't mean that it's not there, or and it doesn't mean that it's necessarily materialistically explicable, right? Because there's this idea that either consciousness is like the ghost in the clouds or whatever, is like a gift from God, a magical thing put into us, or it has to be like deterministically, materialistically, like these two neurons these two particles hit each other and consciousness started, right? And it's right. like, well, okay, it's not, it's not either of those, right? And so we yeah. don't know what consciousness came from, but that doesn't mean you can deny its existence. Right, and then right. If, that, you that's say, if you say, okay, look, it exists. Clearly, I, if you don't think consciousness exists, like shut your mouth and die. Because like you can't <laughs> yeah, do anything, yeah. right? You can't have you just any... Can't your consciousness just made that argument basically right, exactly. that it doesn't exist. It's self-detonating. Yeah. Right. And uh, you know, yeah. I think the challenge for libertarians and objectivists in the future may be when they figure out how um, all these individuals, all these individual cells, right. Um, somehow create something, a singularity, something different that than the individual cell, right? Like how together, um, in aggregate, they're more than the sum of their parts or something like that. And it results in this consciousness um, because, but that's you know, not a, that's not a philosophical question. Like that's a question for science, for like actual right. scientific research. And yeah. Ayn Rand at least held that that doesn't change anything about the, the like, because politics, philosophy, it's about the human perspective on the world and whether or not this desk is made of atoms or not, doesn't matter in terms of, you know, can you steal the desk from me? Right. right. I'd say, right. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess where I was going with it is, is that, um, you know, some of these, you know, like the, the Gaia uh, theorists, right. Who say that earth is one organism, right. And we're part of that organism. We're a constituent cell or something like that. Um, right. There's this, this emergent property, like all these cells together create an emergent property called, a human person and a singular consciousness, right? Well, if that's possible at this level of hierarchy, why wouldn't it be possible at a higher level of hierarchy where we're a constituent part of that? Um, well, and so, I mean, it's an interesting thought experiment, but uh, you know, I don't know how we would ever know. Like our, my cell, my cells would never know that they're part of, they well, would never have consciousness, I guess, either though. So. Right. Because, yeah, you have to look at the facts of consciousness. Like, can you transmit things to me? No, you have to choose to talk and then I can yeah. choose to listen. And so you actually have to look, okay, because there is this idea of a collective consciousness. And that's why free will and determinism actually has many political ramifications. Because, you know, if people think there is a collective consciousness or the racial consciousness mm -hmm. or the Fuhrer somehow has uh, you know, better views of, of the true reality or the Pope right. does or everyone's determined except someone manages to have the right answers even though they couldn't choose, had to come to those conclusions. 
all of these things have fundamentally different views of politics, right? Of how yes. you have to organize these. If it's not that each individual is a sovereign consciousness with free will, and then you will not have the type of society that you and I want to have because if people are determined or if we're actually a collective consciousness, a collective organism, then we have to organize that system, right? It's what, yeah. what is the fundamental unit of consciousness, let's say, which I think is each individual. And that's then how you have to, what you have to optimize society for, right? Um, yeah, I, I think that's a really good way of looking at it. You know, that consciousness axiom, the more I think about it is, is kind of perfect because, you know, like I'm going back to my self-organization systems theory when I was in grad school and looking at, at systems and, and understanding them, understanding almost all systems as self-organizing in that there's, the, you know, the, you can look at a system and it's almost always a fractal of its constituent parts, right? Like, um, uh, you know, and, and in a free market, like there, there's enough people that believe in freedom and property rights that when you look at the overall system uh, or what we might call a nation or something like that, um, you know, that kind of fractal has a very different emergent property, like high, higher GDP, more pro material wealth, all these things you can look at at a macro level when you zoom out from it that are kind of predictable. And a socialist system where, the, you know, has, has other predictable results that kind of emerge and that, that fractal is all the way down, right from your, your, the, the individual consciousnesses that, uh, that, constituent that, that make up that system we might call a nation. But ultimately, the only thing that can conceive of that system is that individual consciousness itself. It, there's no higher consciousness that can conceive of that um, system. Right. And I think it's in, like, you know, we've talked before about statheism. And it's like right. statheism is the worst view of like mystical consciousness yes because it's not even that there's some god there's some literal higher consciousness it's like no this right. is just like a political system that some yeah. humans thought of and that we hold as if that's some mystical revelation clearly it's the good and i also think what we talked about in our last episode about like people can shape the world around them like mm -hmm. and that is what again, Ayn Rand was so good at was she even questioned the concepts people used, the words they used and how they yeah. used them. People at some point chose these concepts for some reason. They decided to use this language. They decided to create everything around. And you even hear Steve Jobs says stuff like that, right? When you, uh, or said, um, like, you know, everything around you, someone decided to create, someone right, decided right. to make it like that. And the, the more you realize that, the more absolute power you have over your own life, over your own situation, over your own environment. And you only are shaped to, by your environment to the degree you choose to let that happen. And that's really on a personal note, the fundamental thing is, you can, yeah, you can totally turn off your brain and let yourself be shaped by your environment. I did for many years, but you can always decide, no, you know what? I'm reversing that. I'm going to put my room in order. I'm going to clean my desk. I'm going to, I'm going to shape my environment and I'm going to choose. And that, that is the fundamental 
crux of the choice, according to Ayn Rand's theory, is am I going to take control of my mental processing or not? Am I going to continue to let whatever data feed into my brain? Or am I, am I going to like choose and weigh it and stuff? Um, I have one other point, uh, if I may, going back to your Sam Harris point that I just remembered. Because um, you mentioned like on brain scans, they could see the thoughts come up and the person thought they were making a decision, but they weren't. And I think that's an interesting point because, you know, I very much, I was struggling really hard with like, am I determined or not? Because right. I was always just, I thought I had always made all of my decisions, but I was just letting my brain dictate what I did, right? Whatever came up, I just executed. But now mm -hmm. it's, and this is what mindfulness and meditation teaches you or helps you do. I actually create a break. So that's that generation of the, of the answer still happens, but now I can look at it and then decide to execute on it. And it's literally just building in that pause is the big difference. Um, and that's where free will, that's what free will really helps. Yeah. Well, I think Harris would say you're just adding one more layer of, of, uh, in the step or something like that. But uh, again, I, I don't yeah. find the, the whole debate all that interesting because at the end of the day, um, I'm still making choices. I'm still a consciousness and, and whether that's, to, you know, I'm, I'm just playing out programming or not. Uh, I have no choice, but to think I'm making choices here, but whether it's maybe I am, maybe I'm not, but regardless, I, I have to believe I am. Yeah, you know? I won't. I won't argue that it. It you have to be interested in this debate, but I would meta argue that I think. To the I think to the degree you start to think, you you don't have to like, if you start to realize you don't have to think you have free will. You could choose to think you're determined. Mm. That will right. change the way. You For think. sure. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. Because, yeah. you know, often we've yeah. talked about, you know, uh, it's, it still makes me think of like the duty premise of do you have to save these lost souls and this sort of stuff. And to me, it's somehow connected. If you really right. think, no, I'm choosing to right now, like, you know, take the next week and, and really think, is there any evidence is there any reason for you to not think you have free will? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what though, I, I thinking that I might be, everything might be determined causes me to recoil and like fight hard to find free will. Right. Yeah. Like for example, I remember this one study they did where they, they had the skull cap open and they would stimulate a part of the part of the person's brain that would evoke a certain response or something like that, or yeah. make them say a particular word. Right. And then they would ask the patient why they said that. And the patient would basically say, well, because I chose to, or something like that, or, or, or I remember what it was. It was, it was, they were stimulating the laugh, laughing uh, center of the brain. And then when they asked why the patient, the patient, why they laughed, they would come up with an ex post facto excuse like, Oh, you said something funny about my mom or yeah, something yeah. like that. Right. And so, that is to me a profoundly uh, kind of not disturbing, but it, it, it makes me reflect on, okay, how much of what I say is just ex post facto justification for some programming that was playing out and how do I get rid of that? And I think that's, that's a good exercise for me in, again, that looking in the mirror, that self-reflection 
understanding where my emotions and those triggers come from so that I can, uh, you know, get closer to the seat of control of choice in my own brain, I guess. If that yeah, makes sense. I, yeah, I think that totally makes sense. And I mean, I think the experimenting on the brain thing, like we don't have any idea really how consciousness and the brain are interrelated. But just right. because the brain can exert control doesn't invalidate it or make it totally right. determined. But I think I used to live a lot of my life just rationalizing the things I had done without really thinking. Right. Yeah. And I was like, most of my life was just, why did you do this? Oh, well, here's this long explanation as to why it right. was valid or whatever. Um, and so, but I do think, yeah, it's worth really thinking about because I don't know the answer in terms of how you know it in your own soul, let's say, right? But I've known it in my own soul because I know the choices I used to make and I still can like push myself one direction or the other. And so like you have to kind of really, again, take consciousness as, you know, I'm conscious because I can, I'm aware of the fact that I'm thinking right now, right. talking. And then it's like, okay, well, what do I do with that? And, and for me, like there is control of it, but I don't know how to kind of help someone get there or whatever. But I, yeah, I don't really yeah, know. But I mean, every, every, everyone is, intuitively knows they can make choices and they, on some level, they understand they have personal agency. They can choose when they're going to eat. They can choose, you know, basic functions like that. Surely they can choose other things as well. Um, you know, but I do think that, um, you know, sometimes, well, I, I want to go back for a second because we were talking before about systems and nations and stuff like that. And the thing that um, concerns me is when people start talking about the will of the nation or the will of the people right. as if it's an, a conscious entity, right? And really what they're saying is uh, what I want uh, the system to look like or what I think people are saying, but really what, what's happening is there are millions of individual consciousnesses there that are all making their own choices. Yeah. And you're trying to uh, put, project your will onto all of those people. And that, that's why I think that that kind of collectivist thinking is dangerous. And I think why Rand was so adamant about choosing language precisely and carefully, because it does form our thoughts our thoughts and our choices in a lot of way that the language we choose to use. Right. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's the same with like the social good and like, it's right. really interesting as I, as I now occasionally talk to peers about politics, like it often does come up that they're, they're assuming something deterministic. They're assuming something about that is just right. wrong about the nature of reality and the nature of human beings, but it's so ingrained. And a lot of it around this, like, you know, group think the collectivism around race and around or ethnicity or whatever it is social class it's like they're taking for granted that oh this person is going to behave a certain way and you know for african americans it's the most obvious because it's brought up a lot especially recently with black lives matter and stuff it's like there's this racial history i've talked about it about jews actually as well because you know Jews tend to think that they're the chosen people or whatever, not every mm -hmm. Jew, but some. Um, and it's like, well, if you think there's something inherent in you or something somewhat determined in you for any reason, someone can think that thing is bad and terrible and be against that, right? And so it's like, same with the, like, if there's some sort of racial, cult, the cultural history that shapes the lives of African-Americans today, 
that means they are a group. That means they do act a certain way. And I can then say, well, if they act in a certain way, if they're a group, then I don't like that. I don't like that group, the way they act as a group. And right, so as right. soon as you let in anything, and it's very much kind of, you know, the, the progressives who try and, you know, what is it? We called it the patronizing racism or whatever. And so the degree you let that happen is the degree in which the counter response is equally valid on your terms, right? And yeah. so it is, I mean, it's not the most important issue, but it is a fundamental issue in terms of what shapes people's politics, I think. Yeah. Okay. So if you and I had some, some uh, advice or thoughts to give to the Liberty Expert Nation out there uh, about how to, let's say, increase their free will and increase their ability to choose, what would we have to say? You mentioned something about meditation. What would you recommend? Well, uh, so I clarify, they can't increase it. They have it, right? So, but right, they have their it. Okay. How do they access it, it then? Use it, start to use it more. So meditation is helpful to kind of call attention to it. And if, if, cause you can get, if you're overwhelmed, if you're in a kind of chaotic state, you will just kind of react more, right? Cause like, right. let's say if you're fighting a fire, or you're on a, on a car crash scene, you're not going to be thinking every second, how do I make, what's the exact right decision? You're going to quote, trust your gut. Cause you've had lots right. of training, lots of experience and you need to react quickly. Right. And a lot of people live in that state all of the time now. So they don't actually pause and consciously weigh the decisions and choose what they think to be best. They are just right. always reacting. And so meditation does help slow you down. But I really think like the, the best thing I can think of is someone should choose to today, right after listening to this, write down three things that they've been thinking about that they think would improve their life. And like have that list handy, simple things even. And then every morning, look at it and decide, do I want to do this thing or not? Yeah. Right? Because at some point I thought, and they can even automatically do it right now. React, write down three things, top of your head. But then every morning, look at that list and say, okay, these are three things that at some point I thought would improve my life. Do I want to do these today? Will I do this thing? And that is the debate because you don't have to do it. You don't there's nothing making you do it and there's nothing making you not do it. If you just kind of want to keep drifting, you'll notice I'm not paying attention to it today, but then maybe a week from now, two weeks from now, just leave that list accessible and you'll see it and you'll notice the thought process that goes on in your head relative to that list. That's what comes right. to mind for me is like, how do I engage with the things that part of me wants to do? And I have to decide it make if it's visual too, it makes you know, I'm deciding to not do it as well. If I'm mm -hmm. not doing it, it's not just something in the back of my head, I'm not paying attention to. No, it's right there. It's evident and I'm choosing to not do it or I'm choosing to do it. There's no third option. Right, yeah, <clears throat> that, that's really good. What, one of the things, uh, pieces of advice I would give, you know, in, in your example of the, the high stress kind of emergency scene, um, um, made me think of this is that, you know, we have this saying that uh, I can't remember exactly, but we, we don't rise to the level of the challenge in front of us. We fall to the level of our training. And so pre preparedness is key when we're confronting stressful situations and high uh, impact situations. Um, you know, you need to choose to train and, and drill and 
prepare yourself for those moments. And you can apply this to, to just regular life. You know, at some point, a loved one's going to die. At some point, you and your wife are going to have a, an explosive fight or a conflict. At some point, someone's going to cut you off in traffic. Um, these are all situations you can kind of predict and you can, you can train for. And you can understand that that first trigger you might not have control over. Although I think with practice and training, you can actually uh, eliminate the trigger. But yeah. you can control everything after that trigger. You can control your thoughts about it. You can control your behavior around it. You can choose your feelings around it. Um, and, and I think that's important. So, you know, one of the things um, where, I, and, and this is where, like, I, I'm not very good at meditating. I've, well, I shouldn't say that. I, I haven't probably given it the chance, but I, I get really bored doing it. Yeah. But one thing that I have gotten better at is recognizing my inner state and the emotions that are going on there and and paying attention to them and trying to understand what they mean and where they're coming from and what the and it's almost always a story that's in my head that is uh leading to those emotions negative and positive and paying attention to that story understanding it and um and and doing that work ahead of time um when there's just small things that are tweaking you or like someone on Facebook says something and you get riled up. Okay. Take a pause, take a minute, reflect. Why am I riled up right now? What does this have to do with my life? What's the story in my head around what this guy saying this uh, means that's creating this and, and taking full ownership of that. Not that that guy pissed me off, but that, okay, I started feeling rage rising up in my belly and my face got red. Why did that happen just now? What, are the thoughts in my head that are causing that I'm taking full ownership of that then prepares you for, for those high impact situations. And when you get in a stressful environment, you know, taking some deep breaths, controlling your stress level and understanding that having a clear head is going to help you rise to the level of the occasion. Um, and having that training to fall back on if you can't control it. I mean, these are all choices you can make, um, in your life. So that's what I will leave you with Liberty expert nation. I want to add one more thing. I may, because I want to reiterate a point to you and to the listeners as well Is I'd, I'd really encourage them to go back to look at the episodes we did on the virtues of justice and pride, because it really comes down to the more, you know, free will exists, the more, you know, people chose to act the way they did whether that's right. negatively towards you or not. And you have to recognize that and it will make your relationships a lot better. And also to you, Tim, I'd say, the more you recognize that you've chosen to be this way, you've chosen to get your life more put together, you've chosen to get control of your emotions, to do that reflection and not get mad. You should be very, very proud of having made that choice. And the more you think, oh, I didn't choose that, this just kind of happened, the more you don't feel that pride and it sticks, it's in the way of you feeling as great about yourself as you should because lots of people aren't like you. And so did you just yeah. luck into being like you or did you choose? <laughs> did you think I need to make my life as best as I can? And that's very impressive. And, and that enables you right. and other people who've made similar choices to really be proud of the decisions they've made. And that's something very much not emphasized in the culture. And, and that's really relevant to free will as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I definitely am proud uh, of that. And um, 
you know, since I'm the senior guy, I need to, I feel I need the last word here. So one more point, David, uh, <laughs> I'd encourage you uh, listeners to go back and listen to our episodes on nonviolent communication. Cause if there's one tool that's really helped me choose um, how to show up and, and, and be able to understand my emotions and use them and, and, um, and I have more choice in a moment uh, of conflict with loved ones and not fall back into the same patterns that, you know, if, if you ever get in a fight with your loved one or you you know, you revert to the same patterns all the time. You, you notice that you can break that. Um, nonviolent communication is the tool that helped me do that um, because it helped me understand that I fully own the emotion. It's, it's not my wife that is causing these emotions in me. It's myself and recognizing that, I can now choose how I show up in this conversation. I don't have to revert to the same pattern anymore. And, and so I would encourage listeners to go back and listen to nonviolent communication episodes uh, if that's something that, um, that resonates with you. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, David.